I'm wondering at this point if anyone actually listens to this bit or skips to the meat of the podcast because you know what it's all about. So uh, if you do listen to the whole thing, well, this bit's for you. If, if this by some mad chance is your first ever episode, I'm sorry, you're not going to have a clue what's going on. Uh, listen to another episode first. Hi, Toby. It's uh, Thanks for having me on. Uh, for the multitudes out there who don't know me, my name's Jeremy Raddick, and I played Gareth in the Doctor Who TV movie. And for the past 25 years, uh, I've been uh, shamelessly exploiting that to get me into exciting predicaments like this. Um, and now it's, you know, it's brought me here uh, to my basement uh, to talk to you about Inferno. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, I'm sure there's an alternative universe version of me uh, who has managed to set up this recording session in minutes rather than in the several hours I always seem to end up taking. Anyway, uh, without further ado, uh, I want you to press play or unpress pause, depending on how you're doing this, on episode four of... Inferno. Um, uh, so, as you might be able to tell from my introduction, because this is a new recording session, I, I stopped after episode three, uh, and some, some days have passed, and sadly in those days that have passed, Roy Scammell, who I uh, eulogised amongst his um, Havoc mates, and I was berating myself for so doing, because Jeremy Raddick, my special guest, uh, had not chosen them for his this particular episode, so I didn't get points for this silly piece of frippery that I'm doing. Uh, Roy Scammell at the age of 88, but I thought he'd make 100. Uh, Roy Scammell sadly passed away, so I've been spending the interim writing obits uh, and, and doing a bit of research on Roy, who I who I, I knew. Uh, I've, I actually phoned him not that long ago uh, in during the plague uh, because... Um, uh, uh, somebody wanted to write an article for Doctor Who magazine. I wanted to be put in touch, and I would never put somebody in touch without checking with them first. So I had a chat with Roy. Uh, so we'll no doubt talk about him because, uh, I mean, with I, I, I'd like to say it's with some sort of apposite timing because uh, when I did the Robots of Death recently, I then had to add a thing saying, oh, and since that was recorded, David Bailey has died. I did the 11th hour, and since that was recorded, Arthur Cox died. And now this one, since this Roy Scammell has died. But as a friend of mine pointed out, um, if you watch programs from ages ago, <laughs> you know, people are going to die from them quite often. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm reading nothing into it, apart from the fact it's a sad fact of my life and our lives as as fans of Doctor Who that are our, our heroes depart from us but haven't we been lucky uh, to have had access to them and you know heard their stories and Roy was great Roy was not your typical uh, stuntman he was very softly spoken very gentle uh, always sun always sunbathing in his swimming trucks in fact to to, uh, uh, to to do a bit of research for Roy the, the guy I've written Roy's Guardian obituary they asked me to chase up if I could find some photographs and I have to say I did a bit of a Google and he'd done some uh, modelling for gym magazines I I don't think everybody who got those magazines was necessarily into the gym uh, and and in those sessions he also did somewhere it was obviously a gym where underwear <laughs> underwear was seen as somewhat gauche 
Uh, and uh, I mean, goodness me, I saw more than I bargained for. One of them, I had had your eye out. But anyway, so the things that one does when researching Doctor Who. Um, anyway, God bless you, Roy. Uh, he jumped off a train at the age of 80. Um, so here we are um, in the Inferno. I love this dangerous world that John Pertwee finds himself in. Um, uh, and and Olaf Pooley is such a convincing uh, bad guy as Stallman. Uh, Ungrateful Nitwit is a great... Uh, it's a it's a wonderful but was very good at being sort of childish actually he is by you know by far the most sort of dignified and dandified doctor but nitwit is, is such a childish thing it would seem right for patrick trout but it's even more right for pertwee because it's so sort of incongruous uh and um Yes, when I when I was first read read about this story, it was always um, you know the, the the parallel world stuff was added as an afterthought, but it it wasn't really. It was uh, it it may well have been that you know Don Horton had had come with this drilling story and 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 this was raised in in conference to to, to sort of sex it up, but it it wasn't that they had scripts and then you know uh, stuck three new episodes in the middle. It wasn't quite like that. Uh, but it does make this very special. Uh, and I have to have an eye on what the wonderful Jeremy Raddick, who is my special guest, has chosen. I like the first glimmers of the Liz Shaw that we know. She's still very hard-faced, Caroline John. Uh, but she's just got a little glimmer of, oh, what what could have been. And I, I do like the idea, because sometimes when you have, you know, mirror universe episodes it is just so and so is actually bad um but i what i think is much more interesting about this is that liz obviously has this latent goodness within her but she's working for a fascist security force um and would you i i sometimes find certainly in discourse these days where where um you know, people yell at the past, as it were. You think, well, you've cast yourself as a hero in a story you're not actually in, and if if you were there, what would you do? I think I think it's much more interesting not to look at uh, heroes and villains, but you know what is within us all that civilization keeps in check, and I and I think and I think that throws up interesting questions as well as sort of having the fun of the story. And isn't Sutton just a hero? I like Sutton, and Sutton's the slightly unreconstructed, uh, uh, you know, rough-and-tumble kind of guy, but he's the one who's who's actually most entrenched in his own decency. You know, he's probably not, you know, smart and salute and, you know, he's... he's, he's, he's uh, you know, he's not lovey-dovey with Petra either. He's, he's still quite sort of harsh and pragmatic with her but uh but it's an it's an earthy pragmatism that, that that's sort of entrenched in decency uh now uh terence dix always used to do this story the, the the observation that john put his hair got more bouffant uh oh he looks like a bond villain here uh, olaf pulius stallman with his never trust someone who wears sunglasses inside uh, I don't know who told me that. I don't know. Though I could think of a few Doctor Who people I quite like who've worn sunglasses inside. Paul Joyce, who uh, who directed Warrior's Gate, uh, I seem to call wore, wore, wore tinted glasses. 
Um, but he does look like he should be uh, smoking a gulwar and drinking Nescafe on a on a on a chintz ocean liner, uh, <laughs> or, or playing mastermind. <laughs> Uh, and he's, he's I like I haven't noticed that before. He's sort of he's tapping his uh, glasses there, sort of in the way that he tapped the the notepad when he was when he was Testy Stallman in uh, in in our uh, universe. And and sometimes this can be a bit pony. The uh, you know somebody clutches their heads and has an alien thing going on. But that that harsh intense drilling sound I think actually really makes it work. And this 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 is great. Um, Douglas Camfield type stuff with these huge close-ups. Um, uh, you know this, and, and the sweaty Pertwee with the light on him. This is anyone that's sort of seen war films and and that kind of thing would you know would 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 recognise this as being sort of relatively sort of grown-up stuff. This is a this is you know this is at the high end of the on the adultometer in terms of what you know what's a, what's allowable on Doctor Who. It's. Uh, uh, and, and you know, Pertwee looks like he's really been through it. But yes, he's he's not particularly bouffant at all uh, here. Although he does have uh, does have an impressive head of hair. Um, but uh, yes, Terence Dix always used to delight in doing the story about John's hair gets more bouffant as he as he carries on. Uh, you could so I wonder if that's you know Pertwee settling more into himself because I think actors do that when they when they when they it's funny when you start to play a part. I've done this recently, you know. You 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 sort of try and remove yourself from it f as much as possible, and I think that's a bit naughty sometimes because that's a bit sort of oh look what I can do, uh, and the best direction I ever had actually um, from somebody I'd never worked with before was sort of like you know don't 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 sh don't if you're a good actor but don't you don't need to show us that. And I thought that was a salutary lesson uh, of going, yeah, 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 that's that's very true. Don't don't show you working um, because that's when you're, you're just not being the person instead, but you're showing off a little bit. Uh, and this is great. This is all this is all very sort of naturalistic for, for Doctor Who, uh, sort of harsh. Um, and Courtney's loving being being mean, and that's the, that's what I mean about you know when you're an actor. Nicholas Courtney was the nicest man imaginable, uh, and 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 you know very straight and uh, very decent. Uh, but he he must have had a great time, and indeed he did because he he always talked of uh, uh, of of this story fondly. And indeed, you know, this is the birth of the eye patch story. Um, and I like this because uh, instead of denying it, you know, we Stallman sort of calls the doctor's bluff, but he's got bandages underneath. So uh, he sort of has his cake and eats it there, really. Um, but the lighting in this story is so good. It'll be interesting to watch because it was always very much written up as, you know, Camfield didn't like what Letts had done with this. And he would liked it to have been darker and more nightmarish. And I think when I first saw this, I assumed that, you know, it was mostly Camfield and Let's just uh, jumped in at the end. But actually, Let's did. Barry Let's directed more of this than Douglas Camfield did. Um, really. Um, 
security is my responsibility i like the way that he does that he picks up on the word of his yeah it's and this is you know this is this is the doctor it is there's oh there's a good publicity photo of these two here i actually sent that to olaf pooley well i sent it to his art gallery i got an address for somewhere and, and never and, and, and sent some dollars to cover the postage but I, I never got anything back but then i think i've mentioned before some friends of mine doorstepped him and got uh got a signed photo for me so that was very nice thanks ben and lee um uh i love petra and greg sutton uh yeah he's not got his uh he's not got his cravat on in this universe he's very much a Thai man here is roy there's roy scammell rest in peace roy bless you mate um so roy how appropriate he gets he does he gets credit on this episode not because it, funny because he didn't get the credit for doing the fall last episode does he no um but he get but he gets a couple of lines in studio here and gets picked up by the prime or by by bromley doesn't he and uh, and thrown but yeah roy had his shocker blonde hair there uh and I didn't realise he he actually came from his his dad was a part time sort of model actor and stuntman and his brother was a a, a Shakespearean actor who worked in America Terence Scammell, um, uh, so he's you, you know you you sometimes imagine that all stuntmen are sort of uh, hewn on the meat market uh, at uh, where you know Covent Garden or whatever it is but actually uh, uh, Roy, Roy was from a Roy was from from quite a sort of theatrical background, but he he was an ice skater and uh, uh, and he used to practice jumping barrels as an ice skater, and it was ice skating that got him a lot of his first sort of stunty sort of stuff. And he was he was told he had to do a fall on a film, and he did it, and he he's he's slowly got the reputation of being the fall guy, uh, and. Uh, Oh, he was as fit as a butcher's dog, he was. Um, and I, I like the sort of the, 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 the savagery of Benton and, uh, and, and John Levine does it well. John Levine, I mean, I'm, I am a big fan of uh, Sergeant Benton, but uh, it's, it's, it's good to see him being, you know, now they're doing the good cop, bad cop. Uh which I like the way she acknowledges it. Um, but this is great because this is a, you know, what the Doctor is doing here is he's trying to stop a countdown to the end of the world. And the brilliant thing is, you know, as as, as a viewer, you sort of know that the world's not going to end in in, uh, in Doctor Who set in, excuse me, whenever Doctor Who is set. Don't get me started on the Uting Dunit dating theory. And I don't mean that night out I had with Captain Yates. Um, uh, and I, I love the shooting of this and the, and the, and the, the, the light through the bars and lots of close-ups, not afraid of close-ups. And, you know they're great on this on this big screen that I'm watching on, but that would have been a real bonus on a on the smaller tellies of the time as well. 
um, I'm sure somebody wrote to Doctor Who magazine and asked about an episode ending they'd they'd remembered, and it was it was this the Doctor in a cell, and um, when he went to sleep, you know, a, a horrible hand coming out from under a blanket, uh, and of course they say, oh no, it's not an episode ending; it, it, it happened in Inferno. So there's a there's a memory cheating uh, for for whoever that was. Uh, it could be that I've misremembered that thing in Doctor Who magazine. So there's a so I think somebody had remembered this and thought it had been an episode ending, which it hadn't, but it's a great moment. Uh, and it's a segue. It's a tra- it's a journey via disco ball back to a lovely close up. I think isn't it right that Caroline John's hair is never the same in any of her Doctor Who stories? That shows that sh- that that shows you can be a scientist from Cambridge, but you still got time to experiment with your hair. I, I think Liz really works as a companion. I, I mean, I, I love Joe, and I, I could see why Barry Letts decided that having a, a scientist with the Doctor was not quite the correct dynamic. But, um, and she was, you know, I, I think uh, uh, applause to the show for, for, for having a go at doing that and, and, and stepping away from, I suppose, what we see now as the cliche. But, uh, you know, I think the it's fine for the show to shake up the doctor companion dynamics every now and again i think you know i think pertwee's pertwee works well with all of his his co-stars um he's so reasonable sir keith and stallman is such an ass. <laughs> and that bowler hat sir keith got a bowler that's a thing you don't see now is it sort of um bowler hatted either city gents or government ministers and is the world a better place without them? I'm not sure that it is. Um. <laughs> and it's good because this is helping with the countdown thing because Sir Keith going away, and we don't know yet that uh, that that Stallman has tried to stall his progress. Um. Sir Keith going away adds a little bit of jeopardy of Willie and they don't we don't see this and you probably would now you'd sort of cut away to a bit of Keith's Sir Keith's journey we you know the budget would be such that you could afford to follow Sir Keith's little subplot more so than that one scene in the car in a couple of episodes time one episode's time yeah next week um I love that shot of uh, of of this shot of Sir Keith and Stallman in the foreground and uh Liz and the Brigadier watching in the in the background. The framing's slightly off there because Stallman's moved, but it's a, it's a it's cracking, cracking uh, setup there. And this sound, the sound in the background, is uh, is great. And of course, at, at, at the time, all of this stuff about. You know, but stuff that we take for granted. We've just had our electricity bill. It's going, blimey. But then actually, when you think about it, um, you know, getting things like the, the, the power, a simple thing like that, because power cuts and all that sort of thing were, you know, even when I was a kid, they were a, they were a big thing. Um, and things that we take for granted and power and, and things that we haven't sorted out, like litter and rubbish and waste, you know, I think the fact that they all start to become concerns of Doctor Who at this time uh, makes them really, really interesting. One, I think it's laudable. I think Doctor Who's primary purpose has to be to entertain. But if it uh, if it wants to tackle a subject, I think it's uh, I think it's fantastic that it does so. Um, 
Hey, Royce, Royce Camel's getting a line. You didn't, and he, you didn't get, Roy didn't get uh, many speakers. He falls off something in Ambassadors of Death and he gets a credit there because it's brilliant because you see him land, uh, which is a great piece of direction. I'll talk about that when we do Ambassadors of Death. Another brilliant story. Uh, but Roy, so, right, Roy basically gets lifted there, uh, uh, which is a, a fairly straightforward, but still a nice, good looking stunt. Uh, so I think I think Roy's been killed by Ian Fairburn there. Oh dear! Uh, and now he's going to uh, yeah bend the bars, which is terrific. Uh, <laughs> um, and and of course because their because their touch is is so dangerous, um, you know that makes them a thrillingly uh, uh, terrifying villain. And that's a great shot through the bars. Although I know that if I was watching this with one of my family, they would go, well, if you could bend those bars, why couldn't you bend the other bars? And I would go, well, he used up all his strength bending those bars, so he can't bend these bars. But, which is why I stopped watching Doctor Who with other people, because you can't enjoy a moment without people going, um, which is how most people talk, by the way. People who don't talk like Doctor Who talk like this, they go, and you go, look at that brilliant thing of Doctor Who. Or I, I like a thing. Oh no, I started to sound like um, a cat starting a motorbike. Um, but but yeah, um, non not I've, I'm sure I, uh, this is a running theme with this non non who fans picking up on stuff not being very good that never occurred to me to look at as a problem. Um, but there we go. Gosh, and isn't it? I wonder how our, I'm, I'd be interested to see how our you know, computer screens and readouts um, look. Because, I mean, some television programmes now, they have they have tables, you know, with sort of uh, iPhone-type displays, or they have them in the, you know, like holograms above the desk and all that sort of thing. So they're an attempt to make stuff look, you know, really futuristic, and they're at the cutting edge. But, of course, they're going to date. So I wonder, what, I wonder how, uh, how iPhones and things like that will seem quaint in... 30 years time to viewers there going oh look at them they thought that they they thought that a device that could do everything well no they thought iphones could do everything <laughs> uh, you know they, they didn't even anticipate that you could uh get, eradicate a species and have a milkshake from the device that you talk to people out of <laughs> you know because we you can't if you know if you could anticipate the future you'd be you'd You'd be an inventor, not a, not a television writer. Well, television writers are very inventive, but you know what I mean. If you, if 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 we knew what the future amazing inventions would be, we'd have we'd have invented them. And I suppose Doctor predicts some stuff as well. Uh... Oh yes, this is going to be. Uh, Derek Newark, yeah. But and I think the fact that. Greg Sutton is a sort of tough guy. The fact that he's scared stiff, uh, you know, really underlines it. And he's really the only one that can sort of show, uh, uh, you know, what danger they're all in. Because, of course, the others, the fascists, aren't aren't allowed to. They have to toe the party line. Uh, and coming up, I think, is is one of the great great Doctor Who cliffhangers I think it's absolutely superb uh, and I think they've established this world brilliantly and I feel that the Doctor is in real peril here you know this is this is real genuine uh, jeopardy 
just just for the fact that a normal citizen of this world is in huge total jeopardy but because he's this fish out of water and and because you know starman in our universe is a dangerous guy but only because he's got you know the bureaucracy on his side this one is a dangerous guy who's where the bureaucracy isn't done by pen and ink it's done by you know uh luger and handcuffs uh yeah and and of course the doctor's gonna uh the, the doctor's gonna try and appeal to reason uh, oh and he's and is he is this where he has the fantastic line yes greg sutton being heroic i love it and Pertwee is great and powerful, and and this line is fantastic, isn't it? It's, it's the sound of this planet screaming out its rage. Yes, I love that, don't you? Uh, and of course, so so Greg, the, the usefulness of having Sutton there is that he gets to do the heroic thing, uh, and brilliant. And you've got the five, four. Close up, close up, close up, close up. And then the one is over the closing titles. I love that. Uh, I found a bit less to talk about. At some stage of that episode, it was much talkier than I'd than I'd remembered. Um, and maybe I'm tired. And, and I think I probably planned to say more about Roy and then I didn't um, because I didn't want it to just be an obituary show. Um, whereas actually I could have done. I'm sure you'd have been perfectly fine with that. Anyway... Love you, Roy Scammell. Bless you, mate. Um, oh, dear. Uh, does that leave... God, that leaves... Oh, no, yeah, Chris, Christopher Benjamin and John Levine still with us from that from, from that cast list. Uh, Jeremy Davis, the designer, is a very nice man, too. Uh, right. Um, I have to pause. Pause? Yes. Uh... I also have to find, because I spent ages setting up, I uh, actually didn't call up Jeremy, but he should be fairly uh, accessible to me. So, uh, so hang on. Uh, so, uh, what am I going to... Oh, it's the cliffhanger. That cliffhanger is fa fantastic. Um, I just think it from, from from the moment the doctor rips off his mask, uh, everything about that cliffhanger is perfect. And then the icing on the cake is just the fact that the one actually goes into the opening titles. And of course, what that means is that they, they don't actually escape this cliffhanger. The I mean, yes, the doctor doesn't get shot, but actually, the doctor getting shot is is in terms of the grand scale of things is remarkably trivial to what actually so the doctor sure the doctor doesn't get shot but that doesn't really matter in the large scale of things because the the cliffhanger has happened and you know there's no what no no amount of bounds are going to get them free from it uh so let's just find yeah I'm, i think that was jeremy on episode three inferno episode four so i'm choosing the cliffhanger what is the marvelous jeremy uh who is in doctor who the tv movie who has embraced this for all he's worth let's see how he's getting on with his own inferno project well now having reviewed episode four as some form of uh, witness statement from this duplicate jeremy that has arrived in our 
cooler, more, you know, fascist uh, universe. Uh, it has been quite an entertaining thing. I did enjoy it quite a lot. Um, I suppose uh, what the duplicate Jeremy would say is his favorite moments of this episode are, I would have to concur with them, is the performance of the central actor, one Mr. John Pertwee, and his increasing sense of desperation, and particularly, and this is definitely his favorite thing, uh, the delivery of the line, it's the sound of this planet screaming out its rage, which I have to say was quite enjoyable. It was an interesting, uh, uh, you know, sort of spluttering of rage from this normally cool and collected doctor and full of authority and and also just a whiff of desperation things are not going well and i personally uh, as uh, you know uh, an under leader <laughs> enjoyed seeing someone so obviously you know, moral uh, so under pressure so i thought that was was quite good uh, so yes uh, i agree that that line delivery and, and John Pertwee's performance as a whole was probably both my and the duplicate's favorite uh, moments, albeit for different reasons. It's interesting how often we agree, <laughs> considering, you know, we are so different. He has, uh, you know, two eyes. I have an eye patch, as you can see, and uh, he doesn't have a, a very convincing mustache <laughs> in the same way that I do. And uh, yes, yes, it seems to be overall slightly more pleasant and and less uh you know indefinably from somewhere between the united kingdom and america <laughs> not entirely a convincing uh, accent on my part but uh, you know this is what we all sound like over here so <laughs> what are you going to do in any ways i will uh, return with the subsequent episode and we shall see what our favorite things from that uh, transmission will be see you soon <laughs> oh good to speak with copies and he didn't say how their project is going so uh, i hope he's safe uh, alternative world uh, for two under leader um Jer jeremy raddick there um all the way for canada we've never met um we've uh, reached across the world to bond over uh, a brilliant episode of doctor who um yeah if you haven't seen the Haydock versus Havoc documentary on the Inferno DVD, please do. I had a great time with um, the the Havoc stunt gentleman, and uh, I was berating myself last last episode for choosing Havoc rather than the obvious thing, the alternative world thing. And actually, um, I now feel slightly vindicated um, uh, because you know they they are a very important part in their. Uh, they're a sadly dwindling resource and uh, you know we won't find uh, we won't see their like again even if we burrow right to the center of the earth um which if we had roy would have insisted on jumping in uh i'm sure i mean, did, even did i even mention last week the first time i met him he was uh, devising a, a a sport on an ice rink which was like uh, 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 chariots of courage it was called and he was thinking about disabled sports people who wouldn't be able, who would need you know something to carry them along so he was sort of a shopping trolley on ice with a with a hockey stick uh and and uh he i mean he got hit and he started bleeding he was like yeah that's right that's right and he wasn't demonstrative about that it wasn't uh oh yeah i could take anything it was just it was all in a day's work um 
that, that you know, that he wasn't even being macho about it. Um, anyway, um, uh, he was, uh, yeah, he was 80. I thought, I really did think uh, he would get to 100 because he was very fit, very healthy, very sharp, still writing scripts. He was trying to introduce, interest people in scripts that, that he was working on. Anyway, uh, Royce Camel, uh, he's gone to the, he's, he's, I hope when he gets wherever he's going, uh, he lands on a load of cardboard boxes as he gets there. Um, okay. Um, I'm going to refill my cup of tea and then I'm going to watch episode five. I'd love it if you could join me there, which will be in the next edition of Happy Times and Places. Uh, but until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Goodbye. Thanks so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, with special guest Jeremy Raddick, who's on Twitter at Jeremy Raddick. These podcasts would not be possible without the kindness of patrons who include Anthony Carroll, Warp 1 version, Anthony Carroll, Warp 2 version, an alternative universe version of Phil Chapman. He's just like the other one, but uh, has a different sort of hat on. Uh, Nigel Bromley, uh, but with or without a beard, depending on whether Nigel in this universe currently has a beard. David Brodie, with a different wig on location to the one in studio. Kyle Bores, just a meaner version. Robin Bland, uh, using his real name. James Blackett, uh, no, he could talk to dogs uh, in this universe. Martin Bellum of the Alternative Universe One writes for the Mail. The music for this podcast was by Dave Gates. Or was it? It's harder messing around with the credits than you would think. And I certainly didn't get through everybody. But of course, I will list uh, the other patrons on other episodes of this podcast because that's one of the perks if you go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock from as little as £3 a month. You get a name check sometimes. You also get early material. They're months ahead, uh, actually, the patrons uh, on all the podcast releases. You also get exclusive and bonus stuff. Uh, and uh, if you pay for a year in advance, you also get a 10% discount. However, uh, it may not be that you want to subscribe. You could just do a one-off every now and again when you fancy it. You can do that at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydoke. Uh, and if you can't or don't want to uh, support financially, that's totally understandable. I'm grateful for that the, there's an audience for this stuff. And thank you for listening and downloading. But you know what costs you nothing? going to your podcast outlet and giving me five shiny stars and perhaps a lovely couple of lines of review. That just really helps to get the word out there. And uh, if people don't know about this stuff, uh, they might be, they might be listening to a podcast where somebody from Bucks Fizz discusses the Tomorrow People because they just don't know that there's a Doctor Who material out there. Though actually now I quite fancy the idea of doing a podcast. You heard it here first. I've thought of sillier ideas when I'm being recorded, he says, looking at his Doctor Who cookbook. Um, but look, yeah, get word out there. I'd be very grateful. Um, but thanks for listening. And I just tell people, I don't, tap people on the shoulder on the bus, go, have you ever heard a man chatting through uh, episode five of the Dominators? Well, you can now. Um, so, yeah. I'll stop talking now. I'm trying to make these post-credit bits different because I was getting into a rut where I was just saying the same thing. I assume most people stop at the end of the credits anyway. So 
uh, I could I could say anything, couldn't I? Uh, I could say Justin Timberlake for president. There. See how many people heard that. Bye. And follow these podcasts on Twitter at Haydoke Podcasts. Uh, me at Toby Haydoke, uh, and come to my comedy club in Manchester, UK, 8pm every Tuesday at Excess Malarkey. It's been going for 24 years. It's won loads of awards. It's very, very cheap. Excellent comics as guests and me um, extemporising in between like some sort of waffly glue. Uh, and if you can't make it because geography is a barrier, don't worry. We went online during lockdown and it was such a success. We're continuing with our online shows. They're going to be once a month at twitch.tv forward slash Excess malarkey.